there are some contracts that are deemed unconscionable, which is basically just a fancy word for mm, we don't like that. You can't do that. <laughs> so like getting married, you cannot sign a contract with someone forcing them to marry you. Just doesn't hold up in court. You mean I can get out of this? Welcome to Pennies and Popcorn, the show about real money lessons from the world of TV and movies. With your hosts, Carla Cash and Robert Davidson, a couple of personal finance geeks and movie lovers. Welcome to today's episode on Squid Game, or I suppose I should say season one of Squid Game, because there's a season two that's actually in the works. There is a season two in the works. Although, you know what I noticed? They put a trailer out for season two, and all of the clips that are played in the trailer are from season one. Well, sure. <laughs> so they're a little behind the eight ball, or maybe they're getting too far ahead of themselves. One of those two things. I don't think there was initially any sort of plan to do season two. From what I read, Squid Game was a concept that the director came up with back like 10, 12 years ago and just couldn't find anybody to produce for him. He couldn't find any TV companies or movie companies that were interested in doing the production until Netflix came along and said, we want to improve our international offerings and, and movies that are made outside of the United States or uh, the United Kingdom, I guess. And sure enough, uh, they made a good call. Squid Game, <laughs> Squid Game was a huge hit. I think it surpassed Bridgerton to be their most watched show ever. Yeah, number one show of Netflix of all time. I think, according to what I saw, it had at least 111 million viewers. So quite a few folks tuned in to watch some mayhem take place on screen. Yeah, I think it was released globally. They had big audiences all over the place. Mm -hmm. I got to say, though, the entire time that we were watching it, I was thinking, this feels a lot like that movie, Would You Rather? Do you remember <laughs> you made me watch that movie? I do. A, well, a friend recommended it to us after we talked about Saw with him for a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was also not a fan of Saw. <laughs> um, I was not a fan of Would You Rather. But yeah, basically the entire plot of Would You Rather is the same plot as Squid Game. But Squid Game did a far better job with the whole plot than Would You Rather did. I thought Would You Rather made it totally clear up front that this was going to be really hard to win the money. Well, we're not doing an episode about Would You Rather. <laughs> but I do remember one detail of that movie. Same basic plot premise. You've got people who are like in dire financial straits and they end up in the hands of these psychopaths who like to watch people die slash get tortured for fun, um, all in the name of money. So these people are competing for cash, just like in Squid Game. And I do remember that just like in Squid Game, they gave everybody an out at the beginning of the movie. They didn't say exactly what they were offering them an out from, just like in Squid Game. But it was clear that like some pretty weird shit was about to go down. And they were like, hey, if you want to go, now you can. And everybody stuck around. So Would You Rather, I don't think, had too many family audiences. But I feel like Squid Game did. Oh my I gosh. feel like I saw so much on the internet about families and like kids watching this show. Or like kids were way too familiar with the concept of Squid Game. Oh, that's terrifying. I mean, I think this is by far the grimmest, darkest show that I have ever seen. Certainly we, in a series, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we watch a lot of really dark TV shows, but Squid Game takes the cake. I mean, how much more gruesome and 
depressing can you get? No arguments here. <laughs> yeah, it pretty much is as bad as any any show could be. So Squid Game is not the only recent Korean hit. The movie Parasite also came out of Korea and won Best Picture just a couple years ago. Well, I think Korean stuff always does well. Like K-pop, there's a lot of cultural exports from Korea that, that succeed on a big scale. Yeah, that's totally true. So what's interesting about Parasite and Squid Game is both of them really highlight the income inequality and the really you know dreadful poverty situations that a lot of people in South Korea face. And I think a lot of Americans watch it and think, oh, things must be really bad in South Korea. But there's a really interesting article, which we'll put a link to in the show notes, about how actually the United States is quite a bit worse on a number of really important measures when it comes to things like income inequality. So in the United States, the top 20% of earners make 8.5 times what the bottom 20% of earners make. Okay. In South Korea, that spread is actually a little bit smaller. The top 20% earns 6.5 times what the bottom 20% makes. So it's actually a smaller income spread. South Korea actually provides more public assistance than the United States. We do worse on measures like domestic violence. There's an awful lot of metrics that the United States is coming in below South Korea in. So we are not exactly living in a utopia compared to South Korea. I'm curious, just on the low end of the scale, what that really looks like and the high end as well, right? If, if it's a eight times the difference in the United States on, on the top and 20th, top and bottom 20%, how much that's skewed by the upper echelon of the United States earners? Well, I suppose that's a fair point. Maybe like the Bill Gateses of the United States are just skewing that statistic even more than it would otherwise be. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just kind of curious. Or if the, I mean, income inequality is a big problem, but if you have just a different baseline for what acceptable is or what what the bottom 20% is really living with, right? They, I mean, there, there could be markedly different conditions, um, even if the spread isn't as grotesque. Nonetheless, it doesn't seem like, at least in Parasite or in Squid Game, uh, that it's a great place to be particularly poor. Yeah, definitely a lot of tough conditions that we see portrayed in the show and that we're going to dig into a little bit today. Yeah. So obviously the show came out recently. We're going to talk about it openly. There will likely be unintentional spoilers in this oh, episode for sure. There's going to be. We probably already have given you some. Yeah, intentional spoilers <laughs> as well. I I would not listen to this episode if you haven't watched the show yet, because man, you really should watch it. It is a fantastic show. Be prepared for some really really gruesome stuff, but it's worth it. The story is just riveting. It's beautifully. It's told. a good show, but I have to say. So we watched the dubbed version. Yeah. And the voice actors, man, they don't do justice to the actual actors. I feel like the the dubbing folks, I'm sure it's a hard job to do well. I, I can't imagine trying to take the, the text and convert it fairly and do it in the cadence that makes sense with the speech patterns. It's not like, you know, animation where you're trying to match 
some cartoon character, but there's an actual human there speaking in another yeah. language that you're trying to line up with. But I feel like the inflection and the power and the, you know, the enthusiasm at different times just feels off relative to the context of the scene sometimes. I feel like they tried really, really hard. I give them an A plus for effort, but sometimes it just feels phony and strange. And I don't think there's anything you can do about that. So despite the dubbing, you should still watch it. Yeah. So we're going to play you. I mean, I guess this goes without saying, given that it's a podcast, but we're playing you the dubbed version in English today. Yeah. So you can hear it. But yeah, I imagine it, it might be an even better experience to watch it with the original acting with subtitles. Yeah, I think that would probably be better. But for those of you who forgot what you watched a few months ago on Squid Game, the general premise is uh, we've got a main character who goes and competes in a bunch of games that uh, if you make it to the end, you win 45.6 billion won. Mm -hmm. So um, essentially, it's a story of uh, his life, the other competitors' lives leading up to the competition, uh, all of their struggles to make it through to the end. Uh, and everything intermingled with that. It has got a lot of twists and turns and a lot of things you don't see coming. Buckle up. It's going to be a fun episode. So I think we should go ahead and just dive right into our first clip. Sure. So this is from episode one, where we see just kind of the setup of the characters. We have our main character, Seong Gi-hoon, and he works as a chauffeur seemingly part-time it's kind of unclear and his mom works it's not entirely clear some kind of pretty difficult manual labor that much is clear and they're having a conversation um, in the morning as they're both kind of starting their day about the events that are to come that day Gayong's birthday is today and don't forget go and get her uh, something for dinner later well, I can't buy her a nice meal with this much. Times are tough. Gaiong loves a fried chicken, you know. Go buy her some fried chicken. Just chicken, Mom? Don't you think I should get a present for her? Give me some more, huh? Oh, I'm broke. What are you talking about? <sighs> I give you everything I made chauffeuring. Oh, please. That petty change? Hey, we can't even pay your loan's monthly interest off with that. We can't do that now, and we barely spend anything. Let's use some when we have to. And will you stop working so much? Make sure you soak the dishes after you're done. You don't even make that much. Plus, you'll pull your back out. So, yeah, it's his daughter's birthday today. And what you, you can't tell from the clip maybe so clearly is he basically begged his mother for some money so that he could go treat his daughter for her birthday. She lives with her mom and her stepfather. Mm -hmm. so. so a lot of things that we can take away from this clip. One is I think Guy's mother is very astutely pointing out that his daughter really just wants it's like something simple. She loves fried chicken. She would love to just, you know, have a simple meal with her dad on her special day. And He's saying, that's just not good enough. You know, I've got to get her something. And I think the mom is probably right. We often just put onto children what we feel ourselves as adults of this like constant craving for material things. And a lot of times kids just want time with their parents more than anything. You're totally right, especially in this situation, right? She doesn't live with her dad. She doesn't get to see him all the time. 
he's absolutely projecting his own wants and desires, his own preferred vision of himself onto what she wants. And he wants to be able to do something nice and special, but he's a greedy son of a gun who's begging from his mother and trying to get more so that he can treat his daughter. But yeah, she definitely would be happy to just spend time with them. Anything that makes her feel special, that makes the day feel special, that makes it clear that he loves her and cares for her. Anything more than that is overkill. And I think all of us should probably remember that when we're, we're thinking about what our kids want for their birthdays, especially when they're young and they, she's not like a, a teenager or something. She's an elementary school kid. I don't think that the fanciest toy or anything like that really moves the needle in a lot of cases and families who don't have the wherewithal or, you know, the resources to go spend it up and, and, and do a big thing really shouldn't. You don't need to throw a crazy party for your kid. They just want to feel special. Yeah, I think they could have had a really nice day together. And, you know, that stress that he feels as a parent of not having enough money and being constantly worried about money, that is so obvious to kids. They pick up on that in a heartbeat. And I'm sure she would feel so much safer and more secure and less worry for her dad if she knew that he was just getting her something that he could comfortably afford and that he wasn't as stressed about the money. So in the clip, he seems mad that his mom is working. What's up with that? It's not like he has any real contribution to the family. He's he's borrowing money from her. Heck, he's he's been stealing from her, right? He goes and takes her ATM card and, and withdraws money as well. Mm-hmm. What's the deal with him pushing back and having that sort of revulsion to her her work ethic? I mean, she made him a fancy meal. <laughs> she asked him to kindly soak the dishes before he leaves, mm-hmm. right? Like what's, why is he so mad that, that she's going to go work? I think it's kind of basic psychology. You see other people doing something that you know you should be doing, but you can't quite get yourself to do it. You resent them for it because they're doing something that you wish you had the wherewithal or the gumption or the resources or whatever it is to do. And I think that's exactly what's going on with him. He looks at her. She's doing what he needs to be doing, but he just can't find it within himself to pull that off. And so he's jealous. He's got some shame from all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. It's, It's unfortunate because without his mom's support, I don't know what he'd be doing. He'd be really terrible. Yeah. So we understand that he's working as a chauffeur, right? He tells tells us in the clip that he gives his mom everything that he earns working as a chauffeur. But I don't think we ever see him working as a chauffeur in no. the show. No, we only know that because of, you know, random conversations that exist. Yeah. We, d- we do know that at one point he did have a good job. And it's not surprising, right? It seems like the his daughter's mother, his ex-wife, is a responsible, successful person, and things somehow spiraled out of control with them. He had a good job before. I think he worked in some sort of manufacturing plant Mm -hmm. and got laid off. And then he decided to try to start some businesses. He started a couple of restaurants. Yeah. They were not as successful as he would have liked. And then I guess for a job now, he's a chauffeur, but it really doesn't seem like he's doing that. It's, It's not like he has a black car company that he takes people around in. If anything, he's maybe a a hired driver from time to time. But if you don't even own the vehicle, man, that's a a tough gig to be super successful in. Yeah. 
So we don't, we really don't get to learn that much about exactly what his chauffeuring gig looks like or how much he might be able to earn from it. In fact, the day that we first meet him, we see that he's not actually going to work for the day. Instead, he is heading off to a gambling track. Oh, yeah. He was going to work. He was ready to go make his money. Uh-huh. Like going to some sort of off-track betting spot to put some money on the ponies. Mm-hmm. So it really makes you wonder if that's what he's doing for quote-unquote work is he's just gambling and, you know, occasionally when he gets lucky, that's the money that he's giving to his mom. Yeah, I suspect he's stealing. So he stole her debit card. He went, took out some money, went to the track, put some money down, and I guess occasionally he has a little bit of success and is able to look what I did chauffeuring today. Who knows? Maybe he really is a chauffeur and he just gambles on his days off. But I don't know. It leaves a question in my mind. Well, he definitely is a gambling addict. That much is for sure. Mm-hmm. He His life has basically spiraled out of control. He's stealing from family. He can't really support himself. And uh, he's got a huge gambling addiction. In fact, he owes a bunch of money to some people. And he gets tracked down after a little bit of success at the racetrack by one of his creditors. Oh, oh no, don't do this. I don't want to die. Your blood was tasty. I think my boys and I should make a nice delicious soup with it tonight. I'll pay you. I'll pay you. I mean it. I'll pay you. Jesus, guy. Don't make me feel sorry for you with all that crying. How do you know I was such a softy? Hey. Okay, wipe off your tears. Sign here, your fingerprint. If you don't pay it off by next month, I'll take one of your kidneys. And then, after that, I'll take one of your eyes, okay? You don't like it? No, no, I got it, yeah. Next month, it's good with me. Ah, that's so hard to listen to. That's really, really uh, intense stuff. Yeah, so he's got some debt that his mom was talking about. From his failed businesses. And mm-hmm. I assume that's what she's talking about paying loan interest on. The debt with the guys who want his kidney or his eye. Um, and his eye. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think they just want the money. But they'll, <laughs> they'll take that as a substitute, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's off the books. Maybe not so much. She may not be aware of that. Yeah. So this is a really interesting thing, I think. In the United States, it is illegal to sell an organ. The show really makes it seem like it would be perfectly legal in Korea. I mean, they have him sign a legal document in this scene saying that he is forfeiting his rights to his body and that if he doesn't pay off his debts, they can take his kidney and then his eye. But according to what I have seen online, that is not accurate. (laughs) You cannot sell organs in Korea just like you can't here in the United States. So is there a black market for it? I'm sure there is, but it's completely ridiculous to have him sign a contract saying that he's going to enter into the black market. So I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds and the legal stuff here, but there are some contracts that are deemed unconscionable, which is basically just a fancy word for, mm, we don't like that, you can't do that. <laughs> so... Basically, an unconscionable contract would be something that we just don't think it's right to force someone to do, even if they're being paid money for it or even if they agreed to it in the past. Like, these are just things that you are allowed to change your mind on. So, like, getting married, you cannot sign a contract with someone forcing them to marry you. It just doesn't hold up in court. You mean I can get out of this? <laughs> you can. <laughs> 
I mean, basically anything illegal is going to be deemed right. an unconscionable contract. You just cannot force someone to sign a contract saying that they will commit a crime or they'll help you commit a crime. There's all kinds of interesting examples of what, what makes an unconscionable contract. But selling an organ definitely falls under that umbrella. I'm pretty sure that all this debt that he's gotten from some gangster or mobster, whoever's whoever's running the show here that, that has his henchmen out, you know, roughing him up a little bit, threatening him here is all outside of any kind of real business or legal system. And then this contract is just a way of letting him realize how, how close he is to facing a much more severe set of punishment for failing to make his payments. Yeah. I mean, these guys seem serious. I don't doubt that they'll cut him up and take his organs. I mean, they, they seem like very, very <laughs> bad folks. But to have him sign a contract just seems like total theater. Like that, that is that is not worth the paper that it's written on. It's completely ridiculous. Well, he so. didn't really sign anyway. He just he just gave a thumbprint. Yeah. Right, out of blood. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> gruesome and completely unhelpful. Just well, not a good idea all around. I think it was a big part of sort of showcasing who he is, though, and what that day really looked like. Just how bad of a gambling addict he was, and mm-hmm. how much trouble he was in. Right. That that took the tail end. Of it. He got robbed before the the gangsters were able to go rough him up and, and threaten to take the money. And he went back to the teller who he had tipped after he got that big win at the um, horse race and just asked for the money back because he needed something because he still needed to buy a gift for his daughter. Yeah, which I th- I think the money he asked for back was maybe like five to ten dollars. Like it was a really small amount, but that was all he had. Literally, like that was his money to take his daughter out for dinner and uh, just completely tugs at my heartstrings. It's rough well, stuff. What was crazy is he took that little money that he got and he went to an arcade, right? Yeah. He didn't go to a store to buy some nice thoughtful trinket or, you know, save it for dinner or anything like that. I think, in fact, he, he didn't eat, right? Like at dinner, he just had enough for her. And instead he goes to one of those like claw machines, right? Where he's trying to get a toy out of the machine, but you're not guaranteed to get it. And he was actually pretty bad at it, wasn't he? Yeah. In fact, there was a little kid who came along and helped him out and helped like got him one of the toys with his skills at the claw machine game because our our hero just couldn't get it done. If your gambling addiction is so bad that you can't resist the temptation to use the claw machine to try to get a toy for your daughter. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's pretty rough. He is definitely in a bad way. He needs to get to a 12-step program or something along those lines as fast as humanly possible because he is really struggling with his gambling addiction. Yeah. And then we see it again after he has dinner with his daughter. Uh, he's in the train station and some businessman looking person comes up to him and wants to play a little game. Uh, he, he he has a little bit of a, a game of slaps, right? I, I don't know what the name of the game was, but basically it was you take turns and, you know, the main character seems like he thinks he's going to win. It's some sort of contest and he's, they're playing for 100,000 won, something like that. Mm-hmm, which is about $83. Yeah. So... If he went first, he hopefully could do what he needed to do to win, get the money, and then if he lost when it was the other person's turn, at least he could pay him from the winnings and net it out. But it was kind of weird, right? You don't have some random stranger walk up to you at a train station and say, hey, let's do this gambling thing. That's, that's pretty uncommon. 
But what's funny is he was really concerned that the stranger wouldn't have the money to be able to pay him. It's like, I'm going to play this game with you. What if you don't pay me? When he's sitting there with no money on him and no ability to pay. Which, of course, as it becomes revealed later, the guy in the train station who wants to play this game with him, he knew all along that he would never be able to pay and was just planning on slapping the life out of this guy. Yeah, they allowed him to pay off his debt using his body by getting slapped. Since they're paying the 100,000 won every time he lost, he, uh, he got slapped because the other guy was pretty good at the game. And what was really funny is that one time when uh, Ki-hoon finally was successful and, and won on his chance, he immediately reared back like he was going to go smack this other guy silly. And of course, he had the money to, to pay him. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, that, that's not how I'm playing it. Here you go. Congratulations. Well done. Such an interesting scene because, I mean, again, displaying what a gambling addict he, did, he is, that he just can't resist the urge to play games for money, right? He just is so sucked into that mindset. And also, of course, setting you up for the slightly bigger games that he's going to get sucked into. Yeah, the man in the train station invites him to participate in the whole Squid Game contest. And at first, he seems like he's not interested. He's It wasn't for him. But it's clear that his daughter is going to be going to the United States with, his, with her mother and mm-hmm. her stepfather. And they're not going to be able to see each other very often. And things are going to change dramatically with their relationship. And his mom is saying, listen, you're not going to be able to maintain custody or keep her here in Korea if you don't have the means to do so. If you're not like financially solvent yourself, you don't get to have primary custody over the kid or identify where she's going to live. That's just not the way that it's going to work for him. And so he decides, I think, a bit despondent that he needs to go join the game, which, of course is a bit of a mystery, right? They gas him as soon as he gets in the car and he shows up. And then once he gets there, everyone kind of starts to learn a little bit about each other, but they also learn a little bit about why they're all there. Every person standing here in this room is living on the brink of financial ruin. You called and volunteered to participate in this game of your own free will. So this is it. I'll give you one last chance to choose. Will you go back to living your old and depressing lives, getting chased by your creditors, or will you act and seize this last opportunity we're offering here? So all of the people owe hundreds of million of won, if not like even a little bit over a billion. Yeah, which is the equivalent of roughly hundreds of thousands of dollars in the U.S. At least, like that's, most of them are facing at least hundreds of thousands of dollars. So how do you think they found the contestants to do this? I don't know. I mean, again, the way that like the country of South Korea is presented in this show, they make it seem like you could just walk up and down the street and find like dozens of people who are in these dire straits financially. But I don't think that's truly the case. I mean, we're not talking about like a, you know, developing country. It's South Korea is doing pretty well. I mean, in a developing country, it would be hard to get access to the capital in order to access that much debt. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, one of the things that strikes me about this clip is the sort of basic marketing ploys that these game runners are using here. Act now, you know, this is your last chance <laughs> to seize this opportunity. It's just kind of transparent uh, advertising on their part, right? Like they really want these people to stay. 
which I think if you're the contestants should be one of many clues that maybe things aren't going to be super fun around here for you. <laughs> They're really giving you the hard sell. Well, just like the loan sharks or whoever it was that roughed him up before, they also do an unconscionable contract here, right? They, they have everybody go sign some paper that waives their rights to whatever uh, in order to participate in this game. But what I'm curious about, so all these people are in massive debt. It seems like we don't know how they're, they've recruited them. We don't know how many of them have debt where they're being threatened with losing their eyes and kidneys. Um, and if that's a situation they're in, things are pretty bleak on the outside. This game offers an opportunity to go be successful. They don't know exactly what they're playing for. All they know is they played this slapping game beforehand before they arrived. They were gassed and like brought there in secret. They don't really know their competitors. They don't know what they're going to be playing. Mm -hmm. They know that the people who are running the show are wearing disguises and carrying big guns. Yep. So Carla, knowing what they know at this point, knowing how bleak things are for most of them on the outside, should they play? I mean, definitely not. So, oh, come on. Yeah, no. I mean, they have so many clues that this is going to be a genuinely awful situation. I mean, they played this game of slaps. Yeah, what's and, the best case version of this? I mean, I don't. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's such a great question. I don't see how it could possibly go well. You play this game of slaps. The guy says to you when you can't pay, when you lose. I've got an idea. Why don't you pay with your body? That sounds fun. <laughs> what on God's green earth does that mean to pay with your body? I mean, that is such an ominous phrase that could mean so many atrocious things. And that is like a giant neon warning sign <laughs> that every single one of these people presumably heard. And yet... They still made the call to come play more games like it. Yeah, I mean, all 456 you, of them decide to participate. Yeah, like you have to know that pay with your body could get a lot worse than a slap in the face. You have to know that. I mean, Do what planet are you from? If, have you never seen any movie? I mean, I know we talked about Would You Rather, and that was not exactly a smash hit. I'm sure most people have not seen it. P.S. If you haven't, don't. It's terrible. <laughs> but... Like, yeah, I mean, how many, what kind of a rock do you have to be living under in order to not have some really dark guesses as to what pay with your body means? I mean, it would surprise me if it meant death. It would not surprise me if it meant death. I think if I were in their shoes, I probably would have interpreted it as like things could get pretty vicious. I could get, my body could be permanently... I don't know if disfigured is the right word, but I could experience damage that I cannot recover from. But at the same time, probably not damage in the sense like they're going to cut off an arm or I'm going to be we in already, a wheelchair for the rest of my life. We already know that apparently there's like a big black market for organs. So at the very least, I'm going to be thinking, hmm, they might take my organs from me. So... I mean, that's that's what you're already facing with your creditors, but at least on the outside, you know what to expect. Maybe you have at least some hope of going to the police and saying, hey, these people are illegally threatening to take my organs from me. 
filing for bankruptcy, relocating. I mean, there there are so many more options than I don't see. I don't think I think you're being too optimistic about your ability to escape your debts. I think this isn't the 1800s where you can go pick up, move to some other town, and there's only word of mouth out there for where you might be. This is it's modern time. Everybody's got their smartphone. Everybody's got you know government records for payroll and all sorts of things. I realize yeah. you know there there are ways around that. There are immigrants in the United States who aren't here inside the bounds of the laws, and there are employers out there willing to keep them off the books and help them stay under the radar. And work and and pay their taxes, which, by the way, most illegal immigrants do. Fun fact. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's, it's harder than you're making it sound to go live under the radar and escape the, the mob, the guy who loaned you a bunch of money and wants to, kill you if you don't pay it's i'm i'm not trying to be too pollyanna just gotta play a game that just a little are, game things are great on the outside for these folks i understand they're in pretty bad situations but pay with your body they gassed me to take me to this location i don't get to see their faces they are clearly about to do something horrible and illegal to me they're just gonna make Full you stop. they're just gonna make you play a little game of red light green light yeah they are and red light, green light does not go well for like 255 human beings. Yeah, but most of those people stop trying to play the right way. They 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 decide to run away and quit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, most yeah. of those 255 weren't people who couldn't manage to, to only go on green light. Mm-hmm. I think there are people who panicked and ran away on red light. Yeah, so takeaway here is that Robert is a monster. And wants people to participate in these horrible games. No, no. I I think they learned a lot in the red light, green light game. They saw people die. And I thought it was very appropriate when there were 201 contestants remaining after that game for them to stop, pause, and think about their situation. A total of 255 players were eliminated during the first game. A hundred million won is at stake per player. Therefore, 25.5 billion won of prize money has been accumulated so far. If you wish to give up on playing, the 25.5 billion won will be sent to the bereaved families of the late players. 100 million won each. However, you will all return home empty-handed. Uh, sir? So then, if we can complete all six games, how much do we get? Since there were 456 players, the total prize money is 45.6 billion won. And with that, we will now begin the voting. And I really love the score of this movie. The music is well done. It's pretty basic synthesizer stuff, but it's really haunting and beautiful. Yeah. So 45.6 billion won, just real quick. The conversion rate of that to American dollars is about 38.1 million. Let's just call it 38. Okay. I mean... If, are we really? Is the point one million going to change your mind? Would you play for thirty eight point two, but not thirty eight point one? Oh, definitely. The point <laughs> one is what does it? So, but really, is there a sum of money that the game master could be willing to pay you? Presumably, you'll be splitting this with all the other winners. Uh, but like, let's let's imagine that you don't have to split it. Is there an amount of money that they could guarantee you that would make it worth play? Well, so real quick. So really quickly, the vote that he's referring to there 
is part of this quote-unquote contract that these people signed is that if at any time a majority of the players want to go home, they go home. And so after the red light, green light game where 255 people get killed because eliminated is their fun little euphemism for murdered. <laughs> um, after 255 people die in the game, everyone's like, okay, let's hit the brakes here and take this vote and to see whether a majority of people Should want to go home playing. or not. So would I vote yes or no? Is there a sum of money that could entice me to vote to keep going? Well, I, well hold on. I think you have a duty to vote no, no matter how much money is on the line. Because they also say if at any point a majority of the players want to rejoin, they will and, and will restart with those players. So I think everybody kind of has a responsibility. It's pretty unconscionable not to vote no and allow anybody who's decided now that you know more that playing this game is is not right. And so it's pretty terrible that they they make it they get the chance to exit the facility by one vote. Right? It's 101 for no, I don't want to continue to 100. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think I think any reasonable, kind-hearted person who is not an awful, terrible person who wants the, the deaths of more people on their head uh, has to vote no. And then you can all, whoever wants to come back can vote to come back. Yeah. So oh, yeah. forget the voting. What I'm trying to say is, is there an amount of money that would make you be interested in playing? Well, I definitely agree with you that you have a moral duty to vote no. But setting that aside, is there some that I would play for? No, de- there definitely <laughs> isn't. We're so lucky we have such a happy, fulfilled life. I wouldn't risk it for anything. That's basically would be me saying... My life is so miserable that I would rather die than continue living this life. I only want to keep going if I at least have a chance at living some super crazy multi-multi-millionaire lifestyle. That's, it's either that or death for me. And I, that is so far from reality. That's, it's not even close. But I fully acknowledge that that is largely because we've been so lucky in life and, you know, we haven't fallen into gambling addictions and had a bunch of business debt that went south and we don't have creditors breathing down our neck. And I I can fully sympathize with people who are in that kind of situation where they genuinely feel like what's going on for them in the real world is so bleak that they just can't find a way to keep going. Now, I would say almost all of those people, I'm sure if they like gave real life a chance, they would almost all be happier doing that than taking the shot. I think what the game masters are banking on is that they're catching people at their lowest moments where they don't feel that hope anymore. Well, so in the actual show, there's 201 of them that are there. And the the vote is, no, we're not going to continue playing. So they send them all home and they say, you know, we're going to get the band back together if more than half of you want to go do that. And turns out 187 of the 201 people decide they do want to come back. So they all had yeah. several days, a little bit of time back home to try to experience the real world and, and come up with a, an assessment of whether or not this was worth it for them with the knowledge that they're not just playing a game where they might lose a finger or uh, an eye or a kidney that they could very easily die. I think they probably all have the impression that 
these games are games of them versus a game master and it's a game of skill less so about luck and i don't think there's any reason why you would assume that there's only going to be one victor in the end if you know that that's the case holy cow it's insane okay i feel like this is a major plot hole in the whole story arc so they say the game masters say there's 45.6 billion won at stake that's the total prize money yeah and no one raises their hand and says uh excuse me how many winners are there going to be and if there are multiple winners, how much of that goes to first place what does second place get Mm -hmm. yeah there's no questioning of that at all but surely they are all thinking that there can be multiple winners right there's no way that you would go back that 187 people would go back knowing that it was a one in 187 chance of getting the prize money. Yeah, that, that would be absurd. 186 out of 187 chance of dying. Like there's there's no way they would have gone back. And there's also no way that no one would have thought to ask that question. Out of 100, no, 201 people that are in the room when they make the announcement of what the total prize money is, not one of 201 people is like, hang on a second, you guys seem a little sketchy and you haven't exactly been straight with us so far. I'm going to need you to be straight with me about this. That's That just seems completely unrealistic to me that everyone's just taking that on faith that there can be a bunch of winners. I don't argue with that at all. And shame on them for not asking those questions because it was a total bait and switch, right? You start with game one, red light, green light, total skill game, right? There's no luck involved here except... Unless somebody like falls into you and knocks yeah, you down. Which is a real risk. But generally speaking, this is a skill game, right? Mm-hmm. They say go, you go. They say stop, you stop. You have to anticipate. You have to be prepared to stop on a dime and not move and jostle just a little bit too much. Otherwise, you die. The second game, same sort of thing. There's a little bit of luck based on which oh, shape you get. It's the you, cookie game. Yeah. Yeah. Game two, you have to cut out a shape from this sugar cookie. And some of the shapes are really simple and straightforward and others are very complicated. You only have a little bit of time. And if you break this brittle cookie, uh, well, they shoot you on the spot. If you fail to finish in time, they shoot you on the spot. But this game is also a skill game, Mm -hmm. right? It's you versus the game master. You versus the cookie. Basically, it's not you versus an opponent. It's not some sort of zero sum i win you lose situation like theoretically all of the contestants could be successful yeah it's it's really about you and your performance with your given task but then you move to game three which is tug of war and half of the people live and half of the people die yep and at least in tug of war it's still a skill game i mean you have to choose your team and you don't know what your team is going to be playing for still a skill game And game four is marbles. And you have to do something with the marbles. You and an opponent get to decide what it's going to be. And it's still a skill game. But then where it all falls apart and seems horrible and completely unfair. This is the part where it seems horrible to you? Yeah, everything else is totally fair. (laughs) Everything else is fine. I'm no issues with anything else up until this point. Guys, if you're worried about me, you should be. Yeah, yeah. Well, we won't have as many games in our squid game. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) in game five they have to cross this glass bridge 
and some of the glass is strong enough to hold the weight of people and some of it isn't. And it's just total dumb luck where you are in the draw of people about your chances of making it across. And even when you're up there, it's it's not a skill game. Yes, there was one person who was able to use the refraction of the light off of the glass and, and make it a skill game. And as soon as he was able to do that, and it was obvious to the betters and the weirdo rich people who were financing and participating in this game from the other side, uh, they turned off the lights and took away his ability to make it a skill game. This mm-hmm. thing was supposed to be pure random chance or... I guess bullying and refusing to participate and forcing somebody else to take the dangerous chance ahead of you. It's ridiculous that you start from red light, green light, pure skill, and you move to that, which is just random. It seems, it seems unfair. So I was really disappointed in this game masters for that. Mm -hmm. That is the one and only thing you didn't like about them. That's that's good Um, to know. So let's jump forward a little bit. So we've, we've been kind of slowly working our way through the games and the episodes, and we're going to jump now to kind of the big reveal at the end. So if you haven't made it all the way to the end of the Squid Game, you should tune out now because we are about to give an even bigger spoiler than all the ones we've given so far, which I have to brag a little bit and say I totally saw this twist coming. She like did. Way, way, way early in the show. So there's a very elderly man who is playing the game along with the other 455 contestants. And the whole time, I don't know, there's just something a little fishy about this guy, I think. And turns out there definitely is. Uh, So he gets eliminated during the marbles game. But the camera cuts away before we actually see him get shot. We hear the gunshot, but we don't see it. And that is because he is not actually getting killed. He is one of the game masters. He's like pretty much the mastermind behind this whole enterprise of Squid Game. So not too long after the game has ended and our hero has survived and been named the sole winner, took home $38 million, he gets a message from the old man saying, hey, come see me. I want to chat. So... Well, Carla, you can keep bragging. You were right. She's not lying. She definitely called it really, really early. You're like, I think there's something fishy about that guy. And you you made an official prediction. I was, you put yourself out there and you were right. I did. I put it all on the line. And sometimes, I mean, maybe I am. A it was your squid game. Yeah. I was willing to, to put it all out there. So this discussion between the old man and the winner of Squid Game, I think is really, really fascinating because he's basically explaining why they did this. Because of course, that's the question that we all have for the old man, including the hero of the story. So let's take a listen to what he has to say. If you have too much money, then it doesn't matter what you buy or eat or drink or whatever, (laughs) everything. Well, It all gets boring. All of my clients started to eventually say the exact same things whenever we talked. Everybody felt that there was no joy in their lives anymore. And so we decided to get together. We did a little bit of thinking. 
What could we all do to finally have some fun? Some fun? You put us through all of that so you could have fun? The way he says that is so creepy. Well, I mean, it's the dubbing actor. Who knows if that was how it was supposed to be said. Yeah, it just comes across as really scary. But I mean, I thought it was pretty obvious to me why they did it. They wanted to have something to gamble on, right? Is this any different than that short story that seemingly everyone read when they were in school? The Most Dangerous Game, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, if you don't remember your middle school literature, it was a story about um, some really wealthy people who were bored with their lives and decided to have some fun by hunting people. So they like gave people a head start and then set out to hunt them. Yeah, I mean, I think this is something that has existed for a very long time. Well, I mean, look at Rome, right? We've yeah. we visited the Colosseum and they tell you about all the incredibly horrible things that happened there just so people could have some fun. Yeah, a little bit, just a little entertainment, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Nobody got hurt. Yeah. They'll sign contracts. Yeah. I mean, I have some qualms about some modern day sports that are so dangerous to the participants that it really kind of borders on it. I mean, it's not as gory and dramatic as what we saw in Rome during the Colosseum days and what we see in Squid Game, but it isn't entirely unrelated either. We like to see big crashes and see people perform incredible feats of strength, even if that means performing those feats of strength against their human opponent. So it's a little bit of a ethical question mark, I think. So I think the point that the old man was making about being bored is something that people of all walks of life struggle with, right? He's talking about a concept that I've heard referred to before. It's like the hedonic treadmill, Yeah. right? You experience something new and different and it's exciting and it's fun. And then at some point you get kind of complacent about it and it isn't that interesting and you need to go to the next level up. You need to go to the the newest show or travel to the next fanciest place or stay in the next better hotel or eat at the top restaurant. The, that one-star Michelin restaurant isn't good enough. You need to go somewhere where you can go to a three-star Michelin restaurant. And eventually you've eaten at like most of the three-star Michelin restaurants and then people get themselves into a situation where they just can't find the joy in anything anymore because they've literally seen it all, they've literally done it all, or at least they feel like they have. And the things that you can buy, I think can only bring you so much joy. So they start bumping up against that wall and feeling like, but I thought I thought there was gonna be more than this. I thought it would be more exciting than this. I thought my two, once I got my 350 foot yacht to replace my 200 foot yacht, everything was going to be better. It mm-hmm. wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it sounds so completely ridiculous, but I think there is a lot of truth to it that people who just experience the best things that life has to offer on a constant basis start to feel this kind of malaise and frustration that there isn't some other level to go to in life. I think people experience that on like a normal scale too, right? The Whatever is a big reach for you, uh, when you get to experience something that's special and unique and that that, that really was a, an uncommon experience for you, and you go back to your normal life and you feel like you need to one up your last really unique experience mm-hmm. in a way that is 
impossible to do in a lot of cases. For the uber wealthy, it's because there isn't a practical way to do it. For the normal folks, there just isn't an affordable way to do it. Yeah. Well, and I think it's because people are trying to fill a sort of emotional hole with things that just cannot fill an emotional hole. So you, you know, aren't feeling attractive and you go and you buy like a new outfit or some new makeup or get a new hairdo. And then eventually the thrill of that fades away and you think, well, let me try another outfit. Maybe that just wasn't the one, you know, like people are looking for some sort of actual item that's going to fill fill their soul in some kind of meaningful way or even an experience like dining at a restaurant or sailing on a super yacht. Like it, it can be thrilling and wonderful, but it's also not deeply fulfilling. So I think people just end up trying to win this pie eating contest where the prize is more pie <laughs> and it's just, it, it gets dull and frustrating and eventually you're just full of the pie and you can't enjoy it anymore. So, so I think, as you say, I think a lot of rich people are able to sort of diversify their interests and manage that a bit. And if you were a world-class person at know, stock trading or running one kind of business, there's an opportunity for you to go get involved in something else that, that is maybe harder to be successful in or that like you feel like you've made it if you're able to cross over, right? Maybe you're going to become a sports franchise owner or you're going to be a movie producer or you're going to take your money and you used to do like major construction projects, but now you're going to try to run a global food empire. I don't know what people want to do, but I think there's ways, you know, in addition to the really obvious one of philanthropy, uh, where you could take your money and still stay excited and challenged without resorting to running a, a squid game. Yeah. So for me, I think the answer to this kind of problem that the old man is describing is to find something that really challenges you. And that's like a meaty kind of difficult problem that you can sink your teeth into and really just kind of lose yourself in, right? It's that that state of flow that people talk about when you are just completely absorbed in achieving something. It feels so, so good. It's like the pinnacle of the human experience, I think. And that, I think, is the thing that probably this guy and a lot of other people in real life are missing. So I think you've got to, whether it's starting a new enterprise, like a, a sports franchise or opening up your own restaurant or learning an instrument or starting a stand-up comedy. I mean, whatever it is that feels like a big challenge, but that's something that's really enticing to you, I think you've got to try to tackle things like that because those are where you're really going to get fulfillment and have that feeling of losing yourself, which is really what fun is. So. Yeah, can't argue with that at all. Yeah, this guy needs to take up an instrument or something, <laughs> stop murdering people. Absolute insanity. Well, I think the the uber wealthy today have all given their, us their own form of warnings, whether it's Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or whoever, that exactly what you're saying, right? They're, they're doing different things with their money. And I, th I think we should all listen that, that 
aspiring to get to the top. It's the journey. It's not the, the destination. Yeah. So many famous people who have really made it big financially and with fame, they all say, you know, I thought when I got here, it was going to be this like amazing nirvana and I got here and it isn't like, listen to me, guys, I'm telling you, it isn't. You need to figure out some way to make yourself happy besides just wanting to be here because once you get here, it's not as amazing as you think. You're just going to be bored and have to resort to creating a game that doesn't work out for most of the contestants. (laughs) There were 15 winners, right? There were the 14 people who walked away and didn't come (laughs) back. The the, the 14 out of the 201 who didn't yeah. return, plus the one big winner at the end. Mm-hmm. So. I would count myself a winner if I didn't have to go back to Squid Game, if I just yeah. survived red light, green light, and got out after that. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I think we can tie this back to the financial independence movement a little bit, too, because so many people think of you know their magic number of financial independence as like this mountain that they're climbing. And I think it's it's exactly the same thing as what you know, famous actors will tell you when you get to that point, it is not the be all end all. Like you are not suddenly going to live in a land of sunshine and rainbows. Reaching a goal doesn't change your life. It just means you reached a goal. So if I had to sum up a takeaway from Squid Game, I think it would be just ask a few more questions when you decide to play a game that's for high stakes. Ask lots of questions if someone tells you that you're going to be paying with your body. Also, be very wary of like last minute, urgent marketing, please. Like Mm. act now, (laughs) this is your last chance. Because every time you hear one of those, you can bet it's probably not actually a very good deal. It's it's probably not your last chance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's your final notice about your warranty expiring. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. you will have lots more chances. They will call you about your warranty many more times. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed the Squid Game show itself. We certainly did, even though it uh, brought me to tears a couple times. But it was really, really well done. We hope you guys enjoyed it too and hope you learned a little bit from this episode. Yeah. Uh, And if you're into sort of some Korean import shows that have a terrible dubbing experience, we watched one recently as well, I think on Netflix, that was... What's it called? A zombie show? All of Us Are Dead? All of Us Are Dead. Yeah. Check it out as well. Also violent. And (laughs) uh, I think some of the voice actors are the same. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But it's really well done. Yeah, you'll enjoy it. All right. Well, thank you for listening and spending time with us today. And we'll catch you next time. See you guys. Take care.